So if you've been here with us, we've been talking about uh, specifically parables that relate to the kingdom of God. We've done, I think, four of them now or so. Uh, this is, I think, the fourth. And, um, and these are really, really interesting because there's a lot of parables in Scripture, but there are specific uh, seven, depends on how you count them, between seven or ten kingdom parables. And that's what we're, we've been focusing on. And there's a few more after uh, today. Uh, and what we're doing with these parables, and with all parables, quite frankly, is that Jesus is explaining and trying to describe what he came to establish. We are not familiar with the kingdom terminology, but people in his day were very familiar with the kingdom terminology, and it didn't make it easier for him. It actually made it more difficult for him, because when, you've, when you already understand a truth or a reality... For someone to come in and, tr and tell you that, you know, I know that you know what kingdom is, but you have to repent from your knowledge of the kingdom and what you've been placing your trust into. Because I've come here to bring a kingdom that you actually originally were part of as humanity. And something that God, that God is wanting to reestablish, but it's not going to look like what you've seen it look like. And so it's, it's, a, it's a task that, that not only the people who were listening to Jesus did not fully grasp what he was talking about, but also his disciples were also questioning Jesus. And as I said um, last week or the week before that, that I, that I think the disciples are nodding, you know, when Jesus is talking about the parables, kind of like what you would do, right? Like, yes, oh, that's the kingdom, right? Yeah, we're all in Jesus' time. And then the people are like, hey, what, what, what does he mean by that? And they're like... We don't know. And so they went to Jesus. Jesus, explain to us, what in the world are you talking about? And so we've been reading in Matthew 13 where, the, where a, a good portion of these, like I think like seven of them are in Matthew chapter um, 13. And so even with verse 1 through 3, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 13, 1 through 3, this is kind of how uh, this chapter starts out with, and that is, on that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. And then we'll, we'll stop there. And, and then he begins to explain to them with parables. So, so we have this introduction of he, him speaking in parables. So he's on the boat speaking uh, to the people in parables. And then the parables that I want to talk about this morning is a parable that actually after he talked to them about the parables and the disciples did not know what he was talking about, says that they went home and then the disciples were like, yo, Jesus, can you explain to us these parables? And so Jesus explained the parables of the kingdom to them. And then in that environment, he drops these two other reference points and descriptions of the kingdom to his disciples. To his disciples. And we pick up if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, feel free to open your or click to Matthew 13. And we're going to be in, cha in chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. And these are, there's, these are actually two parables that are very similar, and I want to dive into them this morning. So if you have your Bibles opened or if it's on your phone, let's read together chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of God, and let's just read it together audibly. Ready? I'm going to count to 15. No, I'm going to count to 
The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Man. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went everything. All right. Okay. There are a few things that I want to talk about in relation to this parable because this is, um, this is describing the kingdom and it's really important that we understand why is Jesus using this and speaking like this to his disciples and uh, you probably have heard a maybe a version of what this may mean and so just briefly there is um, well let me, let, me, let me go back to this one when we read that that the man that the man I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull this up um, that he um, there's a, there's a treasure, he, it was buried in a field, then a man found it and reburied it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. And the second one, he also searches for fine pearls. Then when he, when he finds one priceless one, then he went and sold everything he had and bought it. And I, I, because we've heard this, I think we read it kind of quickly. And because it is so similar, we put them in the same category of like, well, they're basically saying the same thing. So when you read it really brief, you know, quickly, it's like, yeah, they're basically saying the same thing, which is uh, maybe we can just summarize it to say, hey, the kingdom of God is worth everything you have. That's a pretty accurate like, summary of both of them. Even though there's much more depth in it, that's a good way to really look at it. Because when we're talking about the kingdom of God is worth everything, we're talking about value. We're talking about what is something worth. And we live in a place and in a mindset that it's always not enough. There's never enough. And we don't realize how engraved this concept is. And we actually spoke, I spoke about this last week, about the lie that Jesus is not enough. And the truth is that not only Jesus is enough, but he is more than enough. And the reason that we have this mindset is because every single day we battle with this, with this concept, with this mindset. And it goes and, and a lot of it is focused on materialistic and earthly thinking. Like, for example, who woke up this morning and said, oh, I just did not get enough sleep? Now, how many times a week do you wake up with that mindset? You see, so we, right when we wake up, the first thing that we focus on is, I don't have enough, dot, dot, dot. This is it for somebody over here. This is going to change your life this just rocked your world not because i'm so smart i am a little smart but not because i'm so smart you guys should have laughed because that okay <laughs> thank you thank you um but we, we we launch our days like that and we don't think twice about it but what we say what we speak what we think does it or doesn't it affect our day it sure does because when we wake up, all of a sudden, we are already lacking. And so what's going to happen? Whatever patience you had, you're probably not going to have enough patience or love. And then you look at your bank account, and you're definitely not going to have enough money. You're definitely not going to have enough true friends. 
You're definitely not going to have enough time in the day. You're definitely not going to have enough resources. You're just this mindset of not enough. And so whenever this parable about selling everything that you have to obtain something, our mindset is like, well, I don't really have enough. And specifically, and especially if you, if you read it carefully, the first one is talking about the kingdom of heaven. is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Now that is really interesting because we don't know what this man had. Like, we don't know what this man had. And then, the 40, and then verse 45 says, again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant who searches for fine pearls. But listen to this. When he found one, when he found one priceless pearl, did you catch it? He found a priceless pearl, and then he went and sold everything he had and bought it. The pearl is priceless, yet he was able to purchase it. There's this thing called subjective theory of value, and that basically means that value is based on one's desire or need. And then we sacrifice accordingly. Like, I'll do, I'll do the religious one first just to get out of the way. Church. Ah, oh, I'm so tired. It's too early. Some of us, we tend to not sacrifice a lot because we don't place much value in gathering together with other believers. This is not true in our church, but in our culture... It's definitely true. Those out there. And we don't think twice about it. We, it's, it's our perspective. So for us, it's kind of like, do I feel like going? I, we'll see. And that's the theory of subjective value. So if we don't value something much, we will not sacrifice much to obtain that. Come, it goes the same thing with music. Someone values a certain style of music over the other. There are some gold records, there are some, you know, um, even the format, you know, we have MP3 now and digital, but there used to be CDs and cassettes and vinyl. Some people spend more money on vinyl than this digital compressed nonsense that they think. Other people are like, vinyl, I get the, the, the analog aspect of it, but digital is the way to go. You know, so, so there's, there is compromise based on our desire for the thing. And that's true also with our clothes that we buy. You know, someone buys just really, you know, cheap, cheap clothes. They don't really care about what, who they're wearing as long as they're wearing something. And others, it doesn't matter who they're buying as long as they're spending X amount of dollars on a pair of jeans. And a lot of broke people spend more money on clothes. And rich people don't really spend a lot of money on clothes. Or the houses, we are, that's also subjective to, our, to the value. Some people will buy a $2 million house. I was actually watching like the, the most expensive homes in America and even in the world. And there's like homes that are like $450 million. And it actually costs you $3 million a year to, to maintain it. So it never ends. And for some people, someone obviously bought it. Someone else obviously built it. 
And so for them, they have a high value on how they appear, what they invite people to. And other people value more relational aspects versus materialistic aspects. We sacrifice and we pay for things that we value accordingly. I would never, like Galen is here, he's, um, you know, he's, he plays a little and sings okay. <laughs> but he's a musician, right? And I would never pay a couple thousand dollars for a guitar. Did I say that right? A guitar. No. <laughs> you know, but then I would pay $4,000 for a piano, keys, or some software because that's kind of what I value. And um, so it's, it's, really, it's really subjective. Um, the, the, the final example is auctions. You ever been to a car auction or any auction? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy this, buy this. And then it's like, oh, man, that's way too much. You've just practiced the subjectivity theory of value because you're like, it's not worth it for me. And then you look at them and you judge them like saying, man, you spent too much. <laughs> and they're like, you don't understand. And then what we, we cannot dismiss when it comes down to value is, um, is sentimental stuff. Right? There's, there's one thing to be able to buy something and have it more or less expensive. But then there are those priceless things that we cannot put a dollar amount because it was like the last thing that your mom had before she died, for example. And so it may be completely worthless as everyone else is concerned, but to you it's priceless. And so it's no wonder when we read something like this parable, and some of us, probably most of us, fail to understand the value of the treasure and the pearl to where a person completely sells everything they have to obtain this other thing. Like in theological mindset, belief system, yes and amen. But in practically speaking, in reality, it does not compute because it's subject. the theory of subjective value. What we begin to value, we will pursue. And not only that, we will actually pursue it with joy. So when you're not waking up to read scripture, when you're not speaking to your father on a daily basis, on a regular basis, when you're not pursuing a relationship with your father, it just shows how much you value that. Can I, can I speak so plainly this morning? I will anyways. And so what we value, we pursue, and what we pursue, we value even more. So there are a couple of views of looking at this parable. First view is that the field is the world, and the man, in verse 40, what is it, 44, the man and the merchant, in verse 45, is us, it's people, it's humanity, and Jesus is the ultimate treasure, the kingdom of God, all that Jesus has to offer as a king, he is our treasure. So you may have heard it this way before, but what's interesting is even in this view, um, 
you come across two even perspectives that actually describes two mindsets, right? And the two mindsets are, are pretty simple. The first mindset is the first one, he's just doing his thing and he stumbles upon treasure. Like he's doing his thing and he's like, oh, what in the world? And he digs it up and he sees that it has value to him and so he reburies it and sells everything that he has to obtain this this field not because he wants the field but because he wants the treasure stumblers may not have much or anything to offer and so when we read that he did not go and sell enough money to be able to, you know, uh, accumulate X amount of talents or the dollars in his day, it just says that it cost him everything that he owned. And it may, not, it may have not been much. And it didn't have to be much because everything is always more than much. Everything doesn't have a dollar amount. Everything will always be greater than a lot. Remember the story when um, the, the, they were giving tithing to the temple, and the old lady kind of poured everything out into the thing, and Jesus was like, you know, she gave much more than any one of them because it really pinched her. It really grabbed her. It changed her life. She gave everything versus someone giving just enough where like I just feel good about myself and so the at the end it's like hey this is gonna cost this person who stumbled upon this treasure everything amen and then and if you think about people and if the treasure is Jesus some people are just doing their thing they're just living their life they're 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 seeking something but they're not even seeking anything they're just kind of like doing their thing not concerned about anything and they stumble upon this Jesus guy this treasure right and all of a sudden it's like whoa Jesus man I I never heard of him like whoa that is pretty cool and then yeah, yeah, I find value in Jesus. I'm just going to leave my previous life, and with everything I have, I'm going to go after this Jesus guy. And some of you, that's who you are. You're like, you're like you just stumbled. You're, maybe you stumbled to this church. Maybe your girlfriend or boy, boyfriend or parents or whatever, they brought you in. You're like, kind of like ah, whatever, I'm just doing my thing. And, and then all of a sudden, there's something, something curious about this Jesus guy, about this kingdom conversation, about some people. Yeah, sure, you look at some people, you're like, yeah. But then you look at others, you're like, that, that's pretty interesting. I, 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 they're, they're fathering their kids pretty well. They're maintaining a job. They're, they're you know, they're, they're exemplary. And all of a sudden, you begin to see things that create value. And you're like, you know what? I think I need to just, you know, give everything I have and just give my life to Jesus. And so you obtain this treasure and you give everything that you have. And even if it's not a lot, right? The second, the second is, um, the second, ooh, babies. The second are criers. No, just kidding. Um, the second are, you guys are awake. Yay. All right. <laughs> the, 
The, the second way we see that, that there's a merchant. And this type of a person, he's actually seeking for pearls. So this is a different type of person. This guy or this gal, they're actually searching things out. They're learning. They're studying. They're trying to gain wisdom. They're seeking counsel. They're reading books. They're pursuing something because they're, they're just seeking and they're searching. And as they're seeking and searching, they're accumulating some of this wisdom, some of this knowledge. And in the process, they're, they're bettering their life, bettering their life. And they're like, I'm pretty good. I'm, I manage my finances. I'm in pretty good relationship. They're doing all these things. It's like their way of life. And they're searching, searching, searching. And then amazing things happens is in their search they find the treasure and even with all the things they've accumulated for a stumbler it may not be much but for this person who's accumulating all these things there's a lot on the line and we read that this person found so much value in the treasure that he also sold everything he also said, I, I'm going to give up the good to receive the great. I'm going to receive these things that make me feel good for something that is going to be my ultimate. He says he sold all of his pearls to purchase something that was priceless, that did not have a dollar amount. So you have people who are, who are maybe like exposed to revelation, to justice, to healing. But once they find the ultimate treasure, they're willing to exchange all of their good pearls to receive and go after and chase the greatest pearl. So both compromise. It's easy to not value yourself and give what you don't value to Jesus. And that happens when God enters our lives, he wrecks our world. And we realize that I'm so glad he's in our life. And that's some of us. And, and the same thing is true whenever the person does accumulate a, a lot, materialistically or mentally. They're really, and when they bump with Jesus, the same thing you can say is asked of them. And that is you have to give it all. You have to lay it all down to obtain the ultimate. So it's not, it's, it's, it's. It's not seeing the, and a lot of times we, we don't really know how to do that because we don't see the value of the treasure because we are too focused on what it may cost. And I love the terminology in here because it talks about something being priceless and yet at the same time, this guy was able to almost obtain something that's priceless. So you have a stumbler and you have a seeker and I think that's, you know, probably a bit, uh, both of those are probably in each and one of us. But there's probably two groups of people that we can say, hey, I'm a seeker. I was seeking and Jesus found me. Or maybe you're a seeker and you're still seeking. Jesus is your answer. Jesus is your ultimate treasure. That's what you're really searching for. And when you find him, and he's really close to you, when you find him, you'll realize that's going to bring you more joy than all of your previous searches. And maybe you're here and you've basically stumbled upon it. And maybe you've found Jesus that way, or maybe you're still stumbling. Make the decision today. It's going to bring great joy to your life. That's one view. But there's another view of this. The other view, which I actually like even better, um, and I think it kind of makes a little more sense, um, but it, it basically says this, that the field is the world. And we get this because in previous parables, Jesus was talking about the field. 
He's talking about the field being the world. But then the, the, the explanation is that the field is the world. The man or the merchant, he's not people. He's not us who find Jesus. The man or the merchant is actually Jesus. And the treasure is his humanity, you and I. And so this view is powerful because what it says is that, you know, we said that we found Jesus, but the truth is that Jesus was actually the one who found you. Jesus is the one that draws you and I to him. And in reality, Jesus, he's the one who left all of heaven to come down and got his hands dirty in order to recover you and I, the greatest treasure. And we read about this in Genesis where God is creating everything. And then when he creates mankind, he says, this is very, very good. Because we're created in his image. And because we're created in his image, we have priceless value. And so whenever you go to church and someone says, God loves you, he really does. God has assigned value on you that no other human being can take away. God left all of heaven to come and make himself known to you. But because he's a gentleman, he wants you to actually embrace what he has. And I think that speaks greatly about the kingdom of God and even more so about the king of the kingdom of God. In our life, if someone gave up everything that they own so they can just be with us, you can never exchange that friendship or that relationship for anything that's materialistic. But we're talking about someone who's not human with limitations, but we're talking about someone who, who knows everything, who created everything, who created you, who knows your intentions, who knows all your secret things, who knows the heart, who knows all of these things, and who has an unlimited flow of resources. He had to put that aside so that he can brush shoulders and move into our neighborhood. And we have not embraced him. And even though he knew that he was okay, still doing that, what he did. That's why John 3.16 is so powerful. For God so loved the world that he gave up his only son. And he sent his son. I think it's a powerful, powerful thing. And I think it really speaks to the kingdom of God because God loves us so much we are his treasure and this is why he opens up the kingdom to his children the kingdom is kind of like is wide open and and some of the things maybe that we're talking about maybe redundant and the reason some of these things are redundant where it's like the kingdom the kingdom the kingdom and the reason that I, and i'm talking about more and more about this is because we're still not grasping and fully understanding what jesus is offering to those who say yes to him. I want to conclude with this. Because I think this. Hopefully will give you a glimpse. 
of your father's heart and some insight into what it really means like when you are actually submitted to King Jesus as your Savior and ruler and all that you have, all of your past, all of your present, all of your future, all of your failures, all of your successes, when you've submitted that to the King who left heaven to be able to offer you the kingdom, when you understand this and when you can see how it really looks like, maybe that's going to maybe bring some added value to this kingdom that Jesus spoke so many times about and what he's inviting us into. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, and if you have your Bibles or it's on your phone, read this with me. Pick it up because this is going to be really, really profound. And we talked about that the kingdom of God, it's in our midst. It's here and it's also not yet. There's these two realities. Two realities. There is the physical reality of what it really is like for us to be here physically and be under the King Jesus, under King Jesus. But then we also know that the Bible talks about that there's a reality that's coming that all people will see Jesus as king. And there won't be any hiding from it. And so with Ephesians, in this first one, we see Paul writing this out because Paul is living this out. And because he's living this out, he's not just going to go into a, a topic that's separate from who he is. Because the kingdom... It leaks out of him in every capacity, in the simplest thing of writing this letter to Ephesus. And he writes this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints, watch what he does, in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. In Christ Jesus and at Ephesus. Ephesus what he's telling them is like you guys are in a physical place but at the same time because you are his you are in his kingdom and what that basically means is that you are also in Christ and if you read later on in first Corinthians it says so let no one boast in Human leaders for everything is yours. Okay, no, I'm, there, there's another version. Hold on. There's another, uh, well, there's a verse. It must have deleted. But, but what happens is this. We are in Christ. And when Paul is writing this, where is Jesus Christ? Those are the Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. So what he's saying is in the kingdom, you have this reality. You are currently in Asheville. But at the same time, you are in Christ next to your Father. If you woke up thinking, I'm here, but I'm also in Christ next to my Father, all at the same time. We read... Oh yeah, Ephesians 2, 6 says, He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. It's a good demonstration of the kingdom here when we subject and submit 
to Jesus, the kingdom is here, but also the kingdom is coming. We are here, and yet at the same time, we are in the heavenly places with our king. And this is not something that you just have a, a head knowledge. This is actually what it is to walk in the kingdom, to walk in this thing out. And let's keep reading because I want to highlight a, a couple of things in this as we conclude. It says, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at um, Ephesus. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Now imagine if his people lived based on what we just read. Blessed is the God, and because God is blessed, he's able to bless us, not with some things, not with most things, but with all things. You have to say it, tell yourself, God, go ahead, God has blessed me with a few things. You can't say it because you'd be like, well, that sucks. <laughs> I want everything. I want everything. Of course you do. Of course you do. That's why God is not withholding anything. But he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the, of the world to be holy, blameless, and love and in love before him. Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. Like the man, he bought the field so he can grab the treasure for himself according to the good pleasure of his wills to praise to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved every that's a such a powerful word because it includes your past and your present and your future and every spiritual blessing what this really means, because when we read this and, and, and we, we theologically believe it, but because we don't see it in our life, we don't live according to this position. We live according to what we see, and so this may, sounds, this may sound good to us, but it's not our reality. And that is so sad. And that just reveals that we have not completely embraced the kingdom of God. It's not good enough for us to know these truths. But it has to be, we have to be in a position where we can actually walk these truths out. So what does this really mean? Why is it, why is it that God has given me everything and yet I don't see it? in my life you know rich people in our culture they have kids and stuff there's a few rich people who do this thing really wisely but many if not most rich people um, and I mean rich people who just have money that they don't know what to do with um, 
And so whenever they have kids, what they will do is they'll just basically give them whatever they want, whenever they want. And then uh, the terminology comes from spoiled rich kids, right? Because they don't really know how to value anything. And so they're a reflection of really poor parenting and not loving parenting because the parents in those situations just try to kind of get their kids off their back so they can continue pursuing their vision and keep the kids silent. It's kind of like what we do right now with like Netflix and tablets with our kids. And so what we're expecting is for this reality of every blessing to just be dumped in our lives today so we can see it and be like, see, yes, I have it all. What do you think would happen to you? That would not be a wise father. So this is true. But why isn't it reality? So here's, here's, here's what I would like to suggest. And if you just leave here this morning with like, that was really good. You're going to walk away from the greatest treasure in your entire life. But here's what it is. What, what this is saying is that when you become his... And the way that we become his is not by our efforts. It's not by how many, how many times we go to church, how many times we pray. Um, it's not by what we do, how many times we forgive. God just says, believe in me and, 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 and work your life around what I have for you. But you don't have to work for it. I, I'm going to do everything for you, but you have to reach out for that. And this is what this reaching out has to, what this has to do with, with, with this whole thing. So as we get saved, God automatically dumps all of heaven's blessing into our account. Everything that you've ever needed, ever wanted, it's in your account. It's in my account. And this includes healing. This includes miracles. This includes signs and wonders. This includes wisdom. This includes understanding. This includes knowing the heart of God. This includes things for your, for your future, dreams, your passions, your purposes, you know, what, where you should go, all these questions that you have. It includes all of them because God has just, just dumped heaven into your, your and mine account. And the life of faith. And the life in God's kingdom, this is why it changes everything about us. This life of faith, this life in God's kingdom is learning how not to earn all the things that God has promised, but how to withdraw those things that are already ours. How do we access our inheritance and the wealth of heaven. Don't believe the lie that God did not give you all the things that you read about. He sure did. You just, you and I just have not learned how to withdraw all that he has given us. And this is why you see some people operating in certain gifts or in certain elements. And, 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 but, they, but they may be really lacking in another area. Why? It's because they are learning how to withdraw one aspect of it. 
Oh, this is how I pray to God. This is how God begins to talk to me. God's going to create a rhythm in how he communicates things with me. I've learned this pattern between me and God. And God just doesn't tell you, hey, this is what you do and this is what we're going to do. No, he says, reach for it. Pursue it. Find value in it. And as we develop and walk together in relationship, you are going to learn how to withdraw from your account all things that you will need. This is so, so powerful and profound. We have access to our account, but we must learn how to access the account. And I'm going to talk about that next week. Really practical ways of how we access the kingdom. All right. I think y'all will be here tomorrow or next week. Okay. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you are generous. God, I thank you for some of us. We just understood what generosity means. You're not withholding anything from your children. You are withholding everything from those who are not yours. You offered your son, but to those of us who say yes to you, you've just given us everything. God, and I thank you that you are not stingy. God, I thank you that you want to teach us, that you want to train us, that you want to change our lives. I want, thank you for wanting to remind us who we are, our identity, our position, our inheritance, our purpose, our mission, because you're that kind of a God. You're, you're not just going to drop us off into some crowd. You want one-on-one -on -one time. I thank you for that, God. And those are here maybe who don't know who you are, maybe they're strugglers or stumblers or seekers, God, and they've not crossed the line. I want to pray for them. I want to pray for you. And so if that's you, if you're watching or if you're here, just raise your hand and say, I'm just stumbling and I have not really said yes to Jesus. I never said yes to his kingdom. I'm just kind of, that's where I am. So if you raise your hand or if you're watching and that's you, just this simple prayer is just an acknowledgement of God beginning a work in you in this way. Just basically saying, I want everyone to repeat, Father, I acknowledge my faults and my need for you. I believe that you are my answer, that you sent Jesus to live and to die and to be raised back to life so that I don't have to die. I give my life to you. Save me. And I submit my life to your rulership as I step into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.